the grungy 70s, what was it like? How did people live? We're going to find out all about that and music on this episode of Series Finale, all about the finale of HBO's Vinyl. Let's find a show we never seen. What's up, men, women, and folks? Uh, no kids, hopefully, because this is a not safe for work project. And so. punks and rock and rollers. Hey, what's up? It's us. It's your boys. Hello. Paulie wants a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we talked about this show, Vinyl. Uh, can I go off on it right now with a rating before we even give the BSB? No, I want to. I w- let's say that. Uh, let's say that uh, this is a serious finale. The only podcast during quarantine where three comedians watch the final episode of a TV show that they have never even, even seen. seen. I'm Jack. I'm Zach. I'm John Paul. Thank you, men, women, and folks, for joining us. We're so excited. We have a Patreon podcast every Thursday if you want to go check that out. We're climbing the iTunes charts in Sweden, so we're happy that you're here. Uh, We're doing this remote, and we talked about an HBO show called Vinyl. This is a vehicle for Bobby Cannavale, and that's where I want to start is with a discussion of Bobby Cannavale, okay? This guy's a fucking hack loser. Dude, Bobby Cannavale has been a, a role player. They finally gave him a shot, and he proved immediately why he does not deserve a shot as a leading man. There is probably no one in Hollywood who has performed worse as a leading man. I'll go as far as to say, this was the worst star of any show we've watched. This is about episode 117, Awful. What Cannavale is, Cannavale is so bad at being Cannavale, Anthony Bourdain is a better Bobby Cannavale than Bobby Cannavale is. I look at this guy and all I see is Bourdain, except the Bourdain with no style and no substance. He is flat. He is useless. He is a piece of garbage. And I'm so embarrassed that Bobby Cannavale would be anywhere on TV. I'm sick. I'm sick to my stomach that Bobby Cannavale has a career. And I've gone off on this one time before. It was for Mitch Glazer, but Mitch Glazer was the producer. I wish I didn't even know Mitch Glazer's name, okay? But Bobby Cannavale is a name that has been in the zeitgeist. We've all heard it. Yeah. He's garbage. He is garbage. The only time that Bobby Cannavale should be cast is in a Mitch Glazer pilot that goes immediately into an incinerator in the fifth (laughs) circle of hell because it's torture to watch Bobby Cannavale. Holy shit! John Paul's cock is making an appearance. (laughs) Wow. John Paul has so much passion. I I have. You sound like Italian actor Bobby Cannavale. You got so much passion. I'm embarrassed for Bobby Cannavale. I'm embarrassed because, you know what? Bobby Cannavale has great recipe. He's half Cuban, half Italian. That right there, two of the greatest performing arts races in this country. And Cannavale <laughs> completely blows it, okay? He has none of the tough guyness 
of the Italians, none of the, the swing salsa, uh, the, that Cuban rumba. He's got none of that. He's got nothing. This guy has nothing. And sometimes nothing's a pretty cool hand, unless they're coming out of Bobby Cannavale's greasy goomba hands. He <laughs> slips that meatball and drops it on the floor. The guy stinks. Wow. Okay. So I don't disagree with you 100%. I do want to say that it wouldn't have mattered who played Bobby Cannavale's role because the show in itself is bad. Yeah, but Bobby Cannavale made it worse. I don't know how good it would have been. Ray Romano is also in the show, and he's not good at all. But uh, (laughs) he is upstaged by Bobby Cannavale. Benjamin Franklin said guests in fish are the same. They stink after three days. He actually said... The only thing worse is Bobby Cannavale, which stinks upon arrival. This guy is horrible. I think the show sucked worse than the actor. He's an embarrassment to New Jersey. He went to high school in Union City, New Jersey. He (laughs) took away everything that New Jersey had after Bruce Springsteen. I'm sick to my stomach over Bobby Cannavale. John Paul, thoughts on Bobby? Where else has Bobby Cannavale been in? He's I, actually he's a great he's got a great um, little role I, in Boardwalk Empire that I really enjoyed him. In. Right, I'm right. looking it up right now because I like I I kind of recognize this guy. Kind of always famous, um, but he looks horrible Zach, in the show. We're, we're lucky we watched the finale because I started watching the pilot on accident, and the pilot was one hour and fifty two minutes. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> we yeah, should make him all- do it. I mean, this show was excessively long with very little plot at 57 minutes. This was this, a tough This issue. show is a total stroke job of, like, they, they just self-flagellating, like, they, yes, they think it's so cool to, like, be in the records world in, no, in the, the 80s, the, 70s. The writer is more diseased than that. He doesn't just think it's cool to be in the records world. He thinks he's a cool, smart guy. There's a conversation about D.H. Lawrence, the humorous writer from, like, I don't, I don't even know whatever. I think the 50s, maybe even sooner, or to the 20s. And uh, he says, D.H. Lawrence, this. And then the guy says, what is that record? And he's like, it's not a record, it's a book. There's a few instances of like highbrow cultural references that do <laughs> nothing else, Jack, than to do what you said of stroke the ego. I, I'm embarrassed about this show. John Paul, what did you think? We obviously didn't like it from the beginning. Well, um, one of the things I want to talk about with, uh, with vinyl is that it is a show – that is of its time. And the time right now is for anyone who makes film or TV to look fondly back on New York City in the 70s. Or like just in the 70s in general. Like Joker and all these different movies come out and they like have a hard on. I just watched um, I just watched uh, A Most Violent Year, which was directed by J.C. Shandor, which is hardcore like a boner for like New York 70s movies. And so I felt like what this was trying to do was take that aesthetic, 70s grunge, gringy, grungy aesthetic, and then be like, oh, I'll say it's about uh, pop music as well. But they do a terrible job with getting the aesthetic correct. It literally looks like uh, the, the, the costume designer went to Target and bought the shirt that says Rolling Stones on it and threw it on a guy. <laughs> it was like, that's rock and roll. You know, I, I was so unimpressed with the, the design. Some of these shows knock out the aesthetic, right? Like Hunters was a show that we didn't oh, yeah. really love, but they knocked out the aesthetic, you know? Yeah. This show tries so hard to, like, get the aesthetic correct, but it didn't seem authentic at all. Yeah. 
a little broad strokes breakdown for those of you seeing the plot. The fulcrum of the plot is the record company, Alibi Records, that has just been launched by Bobby Cannavale and Ray Romano. And they launched it kind of to do things a new way. Uh, they have signed a couple good groups, including, uh, I forget the name of the, the group, but you guys will remember they're really crass. And then to, in order to get the group off the ground, they had to turn to the mob for a loan. And uh, that's the BSB. I think that they need to, they, they turn to the mob for a loan to get the record label off the ground. I don't think it's yes. just for the band. Yeah, to get the record label off the ground. But the record label success, they're pushing on this one new band. Right, yes. right. Basically, if this band doesn't like hit it big, then because they have a mob loan, Bobby Cannavale and Ray Romano are going to be like sleeping with the fishes. Yeah, that's another and- problem. It's too all over the place. They put in too many fucking things, right? Like your 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 stroke job to the 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 world of music in the seventies does not have to include a mob side, heavy mob side plot. It's so stupid, <laughs> you know. Where where Bobby Cannavale is actually become an informant for the the feds. It's like this is so unnecessary. Just show me the Sex Pistols. Oh. Working at CBG. The feds, if the feds informancy has this bizarre thing, which must be rooted in historical fact because it's so strange, where the FBI guys, Bobby Cannavale is like, do I need to wear a wire or like use the thing? And they're like, no, it relies on batteries. That's total fad. That's like the New York City police little shtick. We would never record people. (laughs) That's so weird. And it's like, what are you talking about? This is definitely a show that did not know it was getting canceled. Because I mean, they, oh, yeah. What were you they should have been surprised that they even got picked up. If I was kind of all, I'd be like, is this my make a wish to just give me a show? <laughs> because this can't possibly be going to TV. Hey, when you, when you're going to have a show that's going to show, you know, the grungy seventies and Ray Romano playing against type swearing on TV. I think that's a hit. People want to see that, you know? Yeah. This show People want to see doomed. everyone. <laughs> they show but though it, they do have they set up the second season and it's so funny to me that it never got made you know because at the end they're like in tri- typical pat themselves on the back they're like there's this the bobby Cannavale. he's talking to the bartender at the bar and the bartender's like yeah we're gonna start uh playing we're gonna start hiring some bands that are gonna do some folk music and stuff we're gonna call the place like uh cbgb's so like they're just assuming that everybody watching the show is gonna go oh that's so cool (laughs) and it's just so fucking stupid oh it's awful in the the rock band what is the name nasty bits nasty Nasty bits Bits. Bits is fronted by this very histrionic pouty drug addicted British frontman who's beefing with his bassist because they're both sleeping with the A&R person from production, which if you want to talk me too, she abused her power and she, she totally <laughs> preyed on these two young men. Yeah. And it's crazy. This show is these crazy. Two, and by the way, that frontman, that's Mick Jagger's son. Well, he should be embarrassed. Mick should disown him. And you know what? Uh, this is a Steve Belichick job because I noticed in the credits, Mick Jagger's an executive producer. Oh, that's bad. Um, well, you, I don't think he should be embarrassed. I mean, I don't think that that character, I thought he did fine. You know, he's just supposed to play like this, like heroin addicted yeah, yeah. front man from the 70s. He did, he did all right. 
But the characters are so fucking pathetic. It's like, it's just so uninteresting. There's plenty of one note, I would say, because it is a music show. You know, you need at least a couple. (laughs) Uh, Well, what is interesting is there there are not that many characters, and yet, yeah, they're one note, and no one has any reasonable enough development to be a complex or interesting character. Yeah, I was not into it. Um, But I actually... I like this style of music. Like I, I'm a, I like punk rock quite a bit. So I was surprised that I, I like, I love, like I listened to a six hour long podcast about the history of um, not the sex pistols, but the, the strokes, the dead Kennedys. No, the um, big like, D in the kids table. <laughs> this is hilarious. I like one eighty two. No. Streetlight manifesto. <laughs> you get up kids. The Clash. No, the Clash, yes. <laughs> I like love The Clash. The, 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 some of these bands are amazing, and I just feel like I know, smoke. but it's so dead, dude. I was watching that, and that was a thought I had, like how cool they were, and they had so many groupies, and it was cool to play rock and roll. If you're playing rock and roll in 2020, you are a cornball. Like, can you just believe a guy with a distortion pedal, like, hammering out rock? That's not riff? true, though, dude, because there's this band called Pup that's like that, like, really pretty intense. <laughs> and they're actually a shit ton of fun and good. I don't think so. I, but you know what is funny, dude? Punk is definitely, like, the, these people were on the forefront of something. Things were really going pretty wild, right? But pop, punk now is definitely different. When I went to see Pup, there was a band that opened for them. And they're fun band called Diet Sig. They're a good band. They're fun. The woman's a lead singer. And she's like, she's going, Punk was, this is good. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. I just want to say Punk was started by a trans black woman in the 20s. Do your history, folks. Let's rock. <laughs> Did you walk out in fury? <laughs> I just laughed. I mean, it was just funny. So Did, you take, where? Did you take a knee? Maybe. <laughs> I refuse to punch anybody because, <laughs> which is actually like really protesting a punk band. And then like in, in this band pop again, like they're very, you know, they're punk rock, you know, whatever they're punk pop or whatever. And in the middle of the show, they stop the show and they go, we're doing something really exciting. This tour, every single city we're going to, we're partner with, we're partnering with a, uh, different charity in each city and they have a table set up for people that you can go and donate to them. And it's like, it's nice, but it, it's just funny to me in a way. I can't you see prefer the- if they just shot heroin into their penises on stage. <laughs> yeah, that would be more punk rock. I just want well, them like. Dude, punk, punk is dead in America, but it lives on in Wuhan, China, where people are doing the Ozzy Osbourne and biting the uh, <laughs> bat head. Wow. <laughs> punk lives in Wuhan. <laughs> that actually sounds like a band's name the Wuhan Bats. Ooh. It probably is. There's probably like. Uh, Probably in Lincoln Sudbury 10th grade talent show next year, they'll be the <laughs> Wuhan Bats. We'll play some covers of the Dead Kennedys. <laughs> I, I don't know if we'll have that because I think most people will be mourning the fact that 70% of the U.S. population has died of COVID 19. <laughs> so we probably won't have any talent shows for a while. <laughs> That's a good point. It will be a Zoom tri- uh, talent show. <laughs> no, you know what, where punk does live? And I hate to say it. Donald Trump was a punk rock star of the world of politics, 2016. 
Dude, that would boil their blood. If you if you keep saying Donald Trump is punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying he came in and he turned it on its head, you know? He said what people were shocked. It was shocked pretty punk, dude. Yeah, he was punk rock. But yeah, And he was kind of like Gigi Allen. When he got on the debate stage, he basically just took a dump on himself up there and he still worked out for him. <laughs> Gigi Allen is a freak, dude. I hate Gigi Allen. Sometimes I've been in like three Wikipedia holes where I found myself getting into Gigi Allen. And it's like <laughs> totally disturbing. Didn't he die on stage? Uh, I don't know. I just only know about the poop things. He used to dookie on the stage, cut like word, like slut into his skin. Dude, there's no way his- anyone liked that. Like if that happened today, people would leave. Like, the, the, the most Gigi Allen people are open mic lunatics. That are putting their freaking microphones into their bloody wounds. <laughs> Ooh, a knee minute for vinyl? That's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting. All right. Um, hmm. Drake pushing away. Yes. Um, pop, liberal pop punk music. Drake pointing towards Republican rap music. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. All right. Uh, Drake pointing, uh, pushing away white reggae. Drake pointing at trans black woman fronted punk bands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, broke, broke colon. Um, Scratching to survive, or uh, broke colon, uh, attending flapper parties and living it up in the 1920s. Woke colon, uh, being a black trans woman and starting punk rock in the 1920s. <laughs> I got one, ready? Uh, the scroll of truth. I finally found it after 15 years. The scroll of truth opens up scroll. Bobby Cannavale is the worst actor this country has ever seen. Yeah. I don't really understand that meme. No, because that's saying that it's bad. Yeah, it would have made made more sense if the scroll of truth said Bobby Cannavale is a historic acting treasure, and then you throw it away (laughs) in anger. Oh, okay. So I have to disagree with the scroll of truth. It can't be like this is a hard truth to swallow, but it is true. No, no. Yeah, you have to disagree. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, the idea is that it's a hard truth that people can't swallow. But, I mean, Bobby Cannavale, you really think he's that good, huh? I think he's god-awful. <laughs> I'm looking mm, up okay. Um, Let's see here. Oh, uh. What about Willy Wonka? He's in one. What's his, his deal? He's a meme guy. Willy Wonka, he's like drinking tea and he's like, he, you know, it's like Willy Wonka, he's putting his fist on his on the side of his chin and he's like basically saying that there's too many people on welfare. Oh, wow. <laughs> Usually. Wait, you know, the, you know the meme where it's like the car exit 12 veering off and there's two ways you could go? That's a good one. Okay. I like the Drake so, pushing away. Going straight, making a cool, fun, measured, simple show about the 1970s record business. 
adding an awful mob angle and making Bobby Cannavale the underperforming, overpaid lead. Oh, that's a great meme. Yeah, I guess memes are all kind of the same, the pushing away, pointing towards. Um, Black Power Fist. Yes. Uh, starting starting punk rock music as a trans POC in the 20s. White Power, <laughs> white power Fist. Uh, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Black Power Fist holding the hand of a white power fist. <laughs> Black Power Fist is um, soul music, right? Yeah. White Power Fist is British junkies, what are they coming over? Jews rip them off. God damn. All right. Good, good, good guy, Greg. So good guy, Greg. Yes, oh. the, and the top thing is like kind of a bad guy thing. And then the bottom brings it all together. Good guy, so, Greg. Uh, yeah, good guy, Greg. Top thing. Uh, sits in his car, blasting punk rock music at 1130 p.m. waking up your children bottom to teach the kids that black trans women have been heroes since the 1920s oh i like that that's pretty good that is pretty good um wait though i had one in my head wait good guy greg what about the lady who comes out zach the one oh Teresa may dancing <laughs> <laughs> Teresa oh. may dances out yes Oh, somebody just put on the Nasty Bits, their new single, Fuck the Police. <laughs> Theresa May coming out. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. So I was actually in a punk rock band at one point in my life. For real, dude? Dude, I was. Wow. Yeah, it was... Um, or I wasn't in the band, but I was like around the band. You, you were know? in the industry. I was in the industry. Yeah, I was in the industry I've guy. been in the industry too, so I'll be yeah. interested to hear you. I, in, a, in, in 1974, I was living in Queens, New York, about to graduate high school, when my buddies decided they wanted to put a band together. I sold them drugs, so they figured I could manage them. <laughs> After the first show, they all banged my sister, Ramona, and decided the band's name would be the Ramones. Yes! I was pretty pissed, but I could see these guys were going somewhere. Besides, <laughs> my sister suffered from hysteria, and that night of orgasms with the Ramones seemed to have cured her. <laughs> so I felt like I owed them a little bit. The tour was going great, and the people loved the Ramones, but I started to realize that this band was extremely liberal and smoking a lot of weed and doing heroin. I really wasn't too happy about this and told the band I would work with them. I wouldn't work with them anymore unless I was able to give them a presentation on the Republican Party and how awesome it was. <laughs> Our lead singer, Joey, called it absolute trash and said that he would piss on Ronald Reagan if he ever met him. <laughs> but Johnny, he fell in love with the Republican Party. This created a lot of tension between the band, and I begged them to stop fighting. I told Johnny that Joey would grow out of his liberal ways once he grew up a little bit, but Johnny had no, no patience for it. Then, in 2002, when we were being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Johnny finished his speech with, God bless President Trump, or God bless President Bush, and God bless America. 
<laughs> Joey got pissed and left the band. President Bush applauded his bravery. Bush was so impressed with Johnny that Pat, when Pat Tillman declared himself a fan of Joey over Johnny, Bush had him murdered. <laughs> I couldn't live like this anymore, and I left the band. I started mentoring other young Republican bands to help get their footing. You know, like my main acts, Kelly Clarkson, Ted Nugent, and Daddy Yankee. <laughs> That's a, actually Damn. a very true story about the Ramones. Really? Johnny, Johnny Ramone, famous Republican, he got booed off the stage at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> for How dumb. God How bless dumb. Bush. How and dumb. For being, just for being so punk rock for love and W. Yeah, man. There's nothing more punk rock than conservative views. Yeah, the most <laughs> punk rock thing ever are wars done for profit. <laughs> That's so, that's so fucking punk, dude. $700 Halliburton pizza was a punk uh, anthem. Uh, I, in the 1990s, I was working as an insurance adjuster in a cube farm in Barranquilla, Colombia. My cube mate, Shakira Isabel Mabarak Ripoll, sat next to me. And she was cool, but she was quiet. I was the office goofball, known for my office gags, like my famous reading glasses gag, pretending I was an old man when a, someone handed me a piece of paper to read. Also saying, quote, dress for the job you want, purple is the color of royalty, end quote, when people would compliment me on my purple shirt. <laughs> One day on my lunch break, my neighbor Shakira had brought in mini muffins. Now, mini muffins are an upper-class hostess snack in contrast to the broke person's Entenmann's eclairs. <laughs> As the office goofball, I put the mini muffin in my throat and noticed it would make a, mini, uh, a funny sound when I would sing. So I put the mini muffin in my throat and I went, oh, I love it when you dance like that. And I got this kind of interesting muffin-clogged, timber now everyone thought that was totally funny and goofy and they asked me to do it at all sorts of quarterly meetings <laughs> however shakira had a different reaction she thought it was inspirational and she asked me to teach her how to sing like that wow. so every day after work i would go over stick a mini muffin in my throat and go oh! <laughs> soon enough shakira started blowing up all over south america enjoying the continent I started reaching out to local internet forums to share my truth. But being the early age of the internet, people just kept asking me age, sex, location, and did not know who Shakira was. Shakira, however, was afraid that it would get out that I pioneered her technique. So she hired the cartel to stuff my throat with mini muffins, and I died. Oh. A lot of people believe that Shakira's signature gutter throat sound is a tribute to her Arab heritage through the tradition of her Syrian immigrant father. The truth, however, is much more sinister. Wow. <laughs> Damn, dude. That could be an episode of Narcos. <laughs> Wait, one sec. I gotta get the window. Um, my Hi, window, is, it's, it's down. Come on, dog. <laughs> 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 All right. I also have some experience as a sort of grim, uh, a grungy, gritty guy in the world of 70s music. 
I'll tell you guys all about it right now. Hey, John Paul, you do the same thing. I wonder how it will go over in the driveway of your residential neighborhood. <laughs> in 1972, I was working and living in grungy and real New York City. Back then, the city was different than it is today. It was blue collar, dingy, and real. No avocado toast, no charcuterie boards, and no racial mixing in cabs. Rent was $150 a month, but you would get mugged three to nine times a week by a stick-up kid on the way to kickball practice. I worked as a publicist in the U.S. office of Vertigo Records, a U.K. record label that was putting out records of U.K. heavy metal sensation Black Sabbath. I got my schooling in publicity work in, uh, in university under Professor Tom Brennan, a legend in the publicist game, who had taken up teaching in retirement. Black Sabbath was a smashing success. The music, the attitude, and the mildly satanic vibe had made them a sensation all over the planet, and I was excited as hell as a publicist who tried to make them even more famous in the USA. I was supposed to meet with the frontman, Ozzy Osbourne, in mid-February, but Ozzy was arrested in Texas for drunkenly urinating on a statue adjacent to the Alamo in Texas. He was released on bail for $40, and we met shortly afterward. Ozzy was very apologetic about the public urination, explaining that he was drunk. And as such, I told him that as he was drunk, everything was forgiven. But I told him there was nothing to worry about. The story had made Ozzy even more famous. I told him that not only was this a case of no bad publicity, but I thought that he should up the ante. Ozzy asked me what I meant. And I explained that as a publicist, I knew we had to strike while the iron was hot and keep his name in the paper. America loves a bad boy, even more a bad boy with a bad bladder. And we began to brainstorm Ozzy's next big move. <laughs> it came the next month when there was a papal visit and I had Ozzy take a dookie in his palm. Oh my and God. And shake the Pope's hand. The world exploded in outrage and Black Sabbath albums flew off the store shelves as people were desperate to listen to the man who had smeared shit all over the hand of the Pope. We were riding high, and together over the next few weeks, Ozzy and I came with a whole series of publicity stunts to raise his profile even more. There was the snot rocket on the Declaration of Independence, and the sneezing on the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There was the spitting on Mount Rushmore, and smearing his girlfriend's menstrual lining on the Liberty Bell. Oh my God. <laughs> Album sales, however, began to slow. I couldn't understand. How is this possible when our stunts grew more and more outrageous? My mentor, Tom Brennan, explained it to me in a meeting. The more wild and frequent the publicity stunt, the more the public develops a tolerance. I had made a key error, and Ozzy fired my ass and bit the head off a bat, a stunt he had come up with on his own. I got out of the publicity game and decided to pursue the career I'd always been too scared to pursue before. Private pilot for the band Leonard Skinner. <laughs> That was my experience uh, oh in, this, my sort of, in this grungy 70s music scene. A little bit like, uh, like, like our show Vinyl today. Yeah. This, um, this show also does one thing that, like, if you're going to be an HBO show about the 70s world of the music industry, right? They show the drugs in excess. It's excess. It's excess. It's all drugs, right? And then it's like mafiosos, excessive mafiosos. 
they don't do any of the sex stuff excessively. And it's like, that's, that's so interesting, dude. Good it's, call. It's weird that they don't like harp on that at all. Cause you would think that would be a main attraction to the show is like, Oh, they're going to show free love slash punk love. And you know what? They kind of uh, give the audience by proxy. They, they proxy the audience through the form of the FBI agent who in talking to Bobby Cannavale, he is very uh, obsessed with the idea of these, these groupies wanting to have sex. He's like, they don't even have a conversation. It, he asks him about it on like three or four separate meetings. So they kind of anticipated the interest there would be in the sex, even right. though they didn't portray it. But they also play it in like, this is going to be the way that Bobby Cannavale gets away from having to tell the FBI anything about the mafioso, which Good is point. so fucking lame. It, it, <laughs> it, the, if, if it was lame, it was probably Cannavale's choice. I'm sure that it was like written differently. Cannavale asked for it to be done that way. Dude, I bet you if you you met this writer, the writer of this show has to be unlikable. Really, they have to be so far up their own assholes smelling their fucking anus. They do, they do. They really are a self-righteous person. And you know what? They're probably someone who is embarrassed about the college that they went to or their schooling pedigree. So they overcompensate by dropping these ridiculous things. You guys are going to like Hannibal Lecter now. You're developing a psych profile based on on some of the show you guys didn't like. Well, idea. I mean, this show was so bad. Oh, so Scorsese was involved. That's why, uh, that is why this involves so much, what's it called? Uh, both Cannavale and Ray Romano were in The Irishman, and he probably met Ray Romano especially from this, which yeah. is a complete shame. To be honest, Ray's got to stay in the house with the kids and the nagging wife. That's where he's at his best. This wasn't his breakout moment for you. You didn't. You didn't see this and go, "Wow, I can see this. I can see him taking on more." No, no. I think that Ray's. Uh, you know, is Ray who, the way he talks like this? It didn't. Uh, uh, oh God! <laughs> don't 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 shoot me! I'm just. Uh, I'm uh, just trying to get my partner shot. Not me. Ray was very good in The Irishman. Ray's okay in The Irishman. It was, but Ray <laughs> plays Ray plays a Jew in this show, and uh, he was unable to handle the range because you know what I mean. Like when you're acting, there are certain things that you need to have opinions on to develop the character, even if they're unspoken. So uh, Ray Ray didn't dive in, and I could tell he didn't think about what his thoughts were as a Jewish man in America about Woody Allen's allegations. <laughs> And even though that didn't come up, it played on a deeper level with that character. Ray wasn't ready to handle the baggage. That's actually 100% correct, I think. Um, Uh, Speaking of Ray Romano, uh, we can actually listen to a little bit of Ray Romano and his confrontation with Bobby Cannavale in this clip right here. Last thing that I wanted. Shut up, you piece of shit. I'm trying to sell out your partner, you rat fucking shitbag. Then you come up to me. No, Mr. Galasso. One more word, I'll cut your fucking tongue out. I thought you people were supposed to be smart. In what universe you think I give a shit who runs this fucking company? I got a chop shop by Yankee Stadium. Use it to crush stolen cars. You're lucky you're not in the trunk of one of them. Sorry, I'm uh... Fuck you. 
Now you take your bylaws, your in-laws, your outlaws, and you stick them up your sister's twat. He dies, you owe me a hundred grand plus the vig. You die, he owes me. You both die, your daughters will owe me if it means you gotta put them on the street to collect it. You understand me? Yes, yeah. Did I say something funny? I don't give a fuck what your problems are. What the fuck is wrong with you? You're from Queens, not Des Moines. You know how this shit works. What are you gonna do? Lecture me now on gangster fucking etiquette? You don't borrow money from a guy like that and then shake his confidence about getting paid back. I don't want to play this. Right, because you're the expert on manipulating people, so please, let me learn from you. Jesus Christ, you call me a child? What the fuck are you? We are this close to riding this ship. Right, I know, except you're the one who steered it into an iceberg. It's done, all right? I blew the sail. It's all my fault. I'm a fucking asshole. You're damn fucking right. I lost some money. I hurt your feelings. I didn't serve you up to get killed. Oh, wasn't that crackling on fire? Two titans in the industry. Yeah. Not impressed. There are some really, um, you know, the, the, these people are pretty famous, all these actors. I, I thought the cast was good, but they failed to uh, meet expectations uh, for Dude, sure. Mick Jagger's kid was in it. That's pretty – I thought that was pretty cool. I also Mick think it's kind of lame to give the kid a heroin addiction right off the bat. They haven't even become famous yet, you know. <laughs> they haven't well, even succeeded. That's yeah. why our podcast is not the more of a success because none of us are, are doing H. Do you think that if one of us got into heroin, we'd be more popular? Yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, and, I, it's, and I think probably we should probably draw straws or roll dice or something to figure out who it's going to be. I think we should draw needles. <laughs> um, wait, though. Let's do a, let's do a Bogdan Von Antel moment. Ooh. Moment of zen that we liked about the show. Okay, okay. My Bogdan Von Antel moment was the moment – Right before the the what are they the the nasty bits is big breakout performance. They're not one of them is strung out on heroin and they're not going to go out and perform because they're fighting over this random girl. But Bobby Casavale, <laughs> he steps up and he squashes the beef. He says, "Don't worry about the puss. Get out there and make it happen." And they do. And that's why. And anything that's a Anything that squashes female sexuality, I'm on board with. <laughs> Mine is actually similar in the squashing sexuality. And my Doc Antle moment is the fact that there is no sex scene. I'm actually getting tired of sex scenes all the time because when you watch movies, every movie has one. It does nothing. I've never met someone who enjoyed a sex scene. It just makes people avert their eyes and be uncomfortable watching That's it. Such, what the hell are you talking about? I, I don't think sex scenes – You've just uh, been – watching movies at home during quarantine with your parents that's why you're feeling this way <laughs> do you feel do you feel that the sex scene adds emotional resonance to a relationship i think a sex scene in the movie is paramount to me enjoying it otherwise yeah. it's really yeah, not I mean, worth watching at all listen if, if you don't like sex scenes i totally expect that right but it's wild for you to say you've never met anybody who likes a sex scene <laughs> i never have 
You you've done almost probably two hundred hours worth of recording with two men who specifically enjoy a sex scene in a show. Yeah, and we talk I, about it all the time. It's I our, thought it was a, a meta criticism, and you were lampooning the idea that someone would like it. We have an award show yearly where we go over the Gabby Carter breakout star of the year, talking about our favorite sex scene from any shows we've watched. I thought it was ironic. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Maybe you know what? Maybe you. Maybe maybe after all this is done, I'll I'll say you're right, and you know I'll come around yeah. to your side. Yeah. Maybe after this, I'll cancel my subscription to Mister Skin. <laughs> Dude, Zach, are you getting Playboy over in uh, in uh, in Klitschia? Uh I'm making sure I'm checking the mail every day in case it does get forwarded here, because my mail has gotten forwarded, but. Uh, <laughs> They, they went out of print. And this is the second time this has happened to me with a magazine. I subscribed to Interview, which was an old Andy Warhol magazine. Jack, we used to get it at Cherry Street. It was huge, giant yeah. magazine. Celebrities would interview other celebrities. There was like some fashion stuff. Then they just canceled the magazine. Then, <laughs> then someone else bought it and they kept sending me magazines. It was strange. So I'm interested to see what Hef is going to do. Because they did well, say half that, is not and I had, much. I had two issues left, so I don't know. Yeah. Do you, Lawsuit sounds like. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but one of the Hefner kids randomly just joined the Air Force like three months ago. I think they're kind of off. They're, they're, they don't they're know what's going on. They're moving on from the titties. Um, yeah. My Doc Antle moment of Zen would be – Oh man, that's tough, dude. This is a very unlikable show. Um, my doc animal moment of Zen would be in the previously on before the show actually starts. <laughs> they do show a snippet of the threesome that the two rock stars had with the chick. Nice. So dude, that was I- my doc animal moment. I applaud you for pulling that out of the hat, going all the way back to the previously on. <laughs> yes. I, we, before we do the role play, I do want to say this one fucking part of this episode. The last scene before the CBGB drop is them celebrating the success of the <laughs> dirty bits. Two thumbs and, down. And so they're in the, they're in the record like production area where they're going to have this, um, what is it called? A, a, a company, I guess. Alibi Records. Yeah, Alibi Records. And what's his name, that guy you hate? Bobby Cannavale. Bobby Cannavale is giving this big speech. And so he's like, and now we're going to show what everybody, we're going to show what rock and roll is. And he starts like spray painting this beautiful office that's brand new, (laughs) state of the art. And everybody's like throwing paper on the ground and like they're going so mad. It's really like. Dude, somebody's going to be very annoyed on Monday when they have to clean this up. Well, yeah, someone will, but they, you know, it's not going to be Bobby Cannavale. He doesn't do any work, and his <laughs> acting is certainly not work. He's a piece of garbage. Wait, hey, they- you know what? That's just how, you know what? They think that's what punk rock is, but if they really knew what punk rock, what punk rock was, they know that punk rock is starting wars in the Middle East on false <laughs> evidence. <laughs> that's like, but I, the, the biggest problem in the show is, they don't show punk in an authentic way at all. What do you no. know about punk, Jeff? I don't know anything about punk, but I know <laughs> that this show, it makes it seem very lame, and it's supposed to be cool, right? Newsflash, yeah. newsflash punk is lame as hell, dude. 
No, it's not, dude. Punk slam. But you conflate rock and roll with punk. And for one, I think The Clash is rock and roll. It's and not. two, it's not? No. Dude, The Clash is rock and roll. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I they're mean, rock- the Ramones, can we say they're punk? I, they sound like rock and roll to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you consider punk there? Fugazi. Fugazi is punk. Is it straight edge? Yes, the straight edge Baltimore <laughs> 1990s straight edge scene. That is punk. Okay, I'll give it to you. Because sobriety is punk rock, baby. That is true. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. All righty, let's do a role play. I'll be uh, Bobby Cannavale. I'll be Sid Vicious. <laughs> Sick. There was a guy who worked at the record company who got killed by the mob. He was kind of a big, greasy, blue-collar guy. I'm going to be him. (laughs) (laughs) He was an idiot, and he talked really loudly. So it's like, I'm here. I'm at Alibi Records. It's like, what are you guys going to offer me to get me out of my UK record deal into the U.S.? We're going to offer you the world, man. We see where your music's going, and we think it's the new thing. Can I just say something for a second here? What people don't realize about LBJ, okay? He passed the Immigration Act in 1965. <laughs> I hate immigrants. Who, why are we signing a British guy? You you're, know, we can't find an American. This guy's fucking insane. You're like a fucking fascist, mate, aren't you? Aren't I, you? Yeah, yeah, fuck hey, the queen hey. and fuck you. The queen? Why, why are you bringing the queen into this, huh? <laughs> what are you, talking about my wife? You talking about my wife? Wait, you fuck, you? you fuck the queen? Yeah, Queen Elizabeth, she's a friend of mine. <laughs> oh, I think you 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 two are peas in a pot, ain't you? Yeah, well, you know what? When she comes to the U.S., she's not like you immigrants. She's got one of those plates that, like, a console license plate. Nobody pulls her over. So we can do, like, 85 on the West Side Highway, which gives wow. me a lot of pleasure. I hate traffic. That's really punk rock, man. Why don't we do cocaine? That's punk rock, too. Oh, I love to do some fucking cocaine. Also, if you guys have uh, heroin, I love to do some heroin. Shoot that in my penis. Dude, heroin is and really you, punk rock. What? What did you say there? What did you just say? What body part? Did, what did you just say? You so shoot he way, wants way, to. Way he would, wants to put the heroin right into his wiener. Uh that's just, we we don't talk about wieners in this. I don't want. Oh, any you just wieners. talked about it. You just talked about it twice. No, I oh, talked he about got your ass. No, he no, got your I, ass, didn't no. He? No, I talked about talking about it. I talked about talking about it. I didn't actually say it. Do you believe that's the truth about the N-word? I do. Yeah, I do. Why are you talking? If you're quoting, you can say it. I do. I believe that. And while we're talking, I know this place is called Alibi Records. I was wondering, why don't we put the buy in Alibi Records? You know what I'm saying? You want to suck our cocks. Well, I thought maybe we could recipro- we could just all reciprocate with each other. Well, to be honest with you, I don't normally prove it as stuff, but when I do it, I am strictly a bottom. For me, if I'm gonna do it, ask <laughs> experience. If I want You're a pillow top, princess, I are you? I'm a bit of a pillow princess. You just <laughs> like to lay back and enjoy, huh? Do oh, the not, figures. You know, I'm not always enjoying. There's a relative amount of pain, but uh. <laughs> You know, I, I, get, I give enough pain in my life to receive it occasionally. It gives me empathy. Was the queen hung? The queen wasn't, but let me tell you, Prince Charles was packing. <laughs> wow. I Did could you... see that. He's got high T. He's got male pattern baldness. 
Yes. Uh, well, um, all right then, Johnny. Wait, who is this Sid Vicious? Why don't we, um, why don't we, we all have sex and then we'll sign your name on the dotted line. Oh, that sounds right jolly, isn't it? Roger the shit out of me. Wait, no, no, no. You're rogering me, yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah. We don't oh, do no, that. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, you, gotta, you guys got to roger me. No, you better roger me. No, you have to roger me. <laughs> oh, my God. We've hit that moment. What happens when three bottoms want to shack up? Oh, no. Oh, it sounds like all of our butt cheeks are just smashing together. <laughs> oh, my God. They got suctioned. I can't get off. Oh, no. Oh, no. If we rip apart, it might cause us all to dookie into one spot. Uh, boys, I accidentally ate ice cream. I wasn't anticipating this. <laughs> oh, no. You should have known you're lactose intolerant. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, the the parts? <laughs> oh man, vinyl. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give vinyl a three. It is a uh, shallow period piece with uh, lame acting. I give it a zero point two. <laughs> there is very little plot, which leaves room for character development, but there's no character development, and it's driven by the worst leading man I've ever seen. <laughs> I give it a two. It was, uh, I know punk rock. This wasn't punk rock. <laughs> Good night, Uri. Good night, Uri. <laughs>